for March 25th, 2013. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 247. I'm the mayor of ignition. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. From Los Angeles, I'm Matthew Rather, your host, here with the panel. And tonight we have special guests. Uh, we have guests, uh, Samantha and Andrew, from the site popdust.com. We'll get to them in a second. But first, the question of the week. Panel? Yes? Tilda Swinton is sleeping in a box. Yay! <laughs> so happy! <laughs> this is the best thing know. to happen to boxes since oh, uh, since they put cereal in them. They yeah. <laughs> wanted steal. They wanted to steal cereal from the box, and now Tilda Swinton is in the box with the cereal. So this happened. This happened yesterday. <laughs> it was completely unannounced. And uh, overthinking it, Muse, uh, our our favorite actress, Tilda Swinton. Um, D- performed a uh, an installation uh, where she um, slept in a box, and the the performance piece is called the Maybe, um, and she wears uh, uh, and I'm reading from the Reuters uh, from the Wire Service article now she she wore a light blue shirt, dark pants, and shoes, uh, lying on white bedding, a mattress and a, a you know sheet and a whole thing and and with their eyeglasses beside her and there's a little sign that said living artist glass steel mattress pillow linen water and spectacles uh is the you know the description card for the maybe a, a performance that i guess was conceived by her or that she had done um before in collaboration with another artist but uh but but I guess she did this one herself. Though, how how can you say that if someone else helps you come up with the idea, right? Like, aren't they automatic? Shouldn't they automatically be co-credited on every instance of you sleeping in a box um, from now? And and presumably, I think she's going to, uh, or reportedly, she's going to perform this around various locations in New York. So, if you are in the New York area, uh, look out for t- a box containing Tilda Swinton. <laughs> <laughs> beware, beware boxes. So, panel, your question this week in honor of the maybe, uh, yet another reason to love Tilda Swinton. Um, of what does Tilda Swinton dream in her box when sleeping in her box? And do you think she's really sleeping? I don't know. Tell us a little bit about Tilda Swinton sleeping in her box uh, in public. Uh, first in the alphabet, drink. It's Pete Fenzel. I'm just going to say that. What does Tilda Swinton dream of when sleeping in a glass box is by far my favorite Philip K. Dick novel. I'm just a huge fan. I'm just a huge fan. Um, I'm going to say that that Tilda Swinton probably dreams uh, elaborate, vivid dreams about uh, time travel and motorcycle races. I'm going to guess that most of Tilda Swinton's dreams are herself starring in Akira. Uh, which, of course, it's not going to start her, but like, are they still doing the one with Robert Pattinson? But I'm totally seeing like Tilda Swinton on a giant motorcycle with one wheel that's like improbable and wouldn't really work, like racing through an endless, decadent cityscape, you know, surrounded by geometric lights that are somehow improbably attached to hulking megalithic structures as like the various traumas and psychic energies of supernatural children chase her and or are pursued and promoted uh, or, or, and, or are ushered forth from her own mind into, uh, into a neo 
Neo-Tokyo of her own design and imagination. So that's what I'm going to say is until the Swinton's dream in the box is, uh, is, is Tetsuo and Kanada uh, and, and, of course, uh, Nania to boot. You have to say Nania. That's the correct way to say it. <laughs> Nania. 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 <laughs> Mark Lee, what is Tilda Swinton dreaming? Oh, my God. I have to follow that. Okay. <laughs> this is a reference actually to last week's podcast um, because the most prominent uh, use of uh, spending time in the glass box in pop culture is by stunt mu- magicians <laughs> like, um, like the ones we see in The Incredible Burt Wonderstone who try to spend a lot of time in a glass box and wind up just falling out after a few minutes. So I can only assume that Tilda Swinton, because she's awesome, also went to see the incredible Burt Wonderstone before she took up residence in the Museum of Modern Art and so is dreaming about an alternate life as a uh, cheesy magician in a Las, in a Las Vegas lounge act. Because that would be kind of awesome. Yeah, I mean, David Blaine isn't doing this. Think about how different the context is with Tilda Swinton doing this than David Blaine doing this, even if yeah, it's exactly yeah. the same thing. Part of the difference is that Tilda Swinton gets a nice bid. She also David leaves the box. She's not like, really stuck there. Yeah, and think about that. It's still awesome. She's not trapped. She can go whenever <laughs> she wants, and you can go and see it, and she might not even be there. And it's still awesome. It's, it's the maybe. <laughs> it's the maybe, indeed. Yeah, uh, so for me, I, I think that Tilda Swinton is dreaming that uh, the world is, in fact, inside the glass box, and she is standing outside observing it. So I think that Tilda Swinton is dreaming of a topological transformation uh, wherein, you know, container and contained are reversed. The inside of the box is, in fact, the exterior of reality. Right. It's weird on the interior of reality. Yes. Right from Man. her from her point of view from a from a certain point from a certain perspective from a certain like topological perspective, uh, right uh, from where she sits, the entire world is contained by the glass box. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's 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 Tilda's world. We're all just living in it. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll be right back with our guests from Pop Dust Popdust dot com after this. All right, we are back with our guests from the fantastic pop culture website, Pop Dust. Uh, A fantastically mixed metaphor, um, because bubbles pop. And perhaps when bubbles pop, uh, they leave a residue that is the pop dust. Uh, (laughs) We have Samantha Martin and Andrew Untberger. Uh, Welcome very very much to our site. Oh, thank you very much to your site. (laughs) Yeah, that was a kind of tortured syntax, I guess. Um, (laughs) We're not used to having guests. Can we get you anything? A virtual glass of water, you know, virtual, uh, you know, ottoman to put your feet up on? Uh, Take off your shoes, please. This is an an Asian podcast. Right. Oh, thank you. Thank you. My my podcast is an Asian podcast, so I'm going to take mine off just because it's what I'm comfortable with. So there you go. Well, good. Yeah, you're welcome to. Also, we have another podcast later. Living underneath us, and they don't like it when we clump around in our, you know, in yeah, our shoes. above you as well. So you guys are writers for uh, the site Popdust at popdust.com. Um, Samantha, what uh, what is for our, re- our listeners who may not be initiated to it? What is popdust.com, and, and what do you cover there? Right. Well, you took the words out of my mouth with the bubble popping and the dust that <laughs> ensues. So <laughs> now that that's yeah. out of the way. Um, yeah, Pop Dust is is a pop music website. Um, you know, we cover basically our goal is to connect fans with 
you, the big, the latest and greatest. Uh, what? Do we, uh, yeah, the, I believe you said the bubble that pops. Um, what is it? The bubble that pops and the dust that ensues. Yes. Okay. Uh, so anyway, uh, we we write about everything, all pop music happenings. You know, that's R and B, hip hop, country, even K pop. Now we're starting to cover very regularly, wow. and we have uh, yeah, and we have. All sorts of voting competitions, uh, interviews, photos, slideshows, lists, uh, lots, of lists. Pr- lots of lists. And Andrew can can speak to that because he is our list our list man. Um, but uh, yeah, just basically everything pop music. Nothing is too small or too big to cover. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, uh, fantastic. Um, what what about those lists, Andrew? Oh, well, it, it's sort of, I, I guess, a specialty of mine, or at least it's, it's something that that helps me kind of frame my appreciation for, for pop music. And I, I end up doing a lot of these kind of large-scale lists uh, on encompassing way. Uh, like, for instance, the the new Justin Timberlake album was uh, enough of a deuce peg for me to, to go back and rank every Justin Timberlake song ever recorded, including his in-sync songs and his guest appearance on other artists' songs, and that's... 147 wow. songs in all, and for, for me, like determining the difference between the 128th and the 127th best <laughs> Justin Timberlake song is like the, the greatest thrill there is. Yep. Is exactly how we got It took him months for that very specific number. We yeah, applaud it, that sort of thoroughness here on Overthinking uh-huh. It. Yeah, that's you're a born overthinker, sure. Yeah. Well, what, so what was what was number one? I mean, I I hate to cut you know right to the. It's, it's a, how are you going to get them to read the other 147? <laughs> is, is it a 147-page slideshow? Is that what it is? <laughs> no, no. Uh, that's probably what my editors would have preferred. That's like 525 <laughs> ad impressions. I've read a couple of lists. I want to know, how do you go about picking the criteria for what to put on the top of a given list? Do you straight down the middle it where you establish a pattern and you fulfill the pattern? Uh, do you take it – do you want your number one to be transcendent in a way that separates itself from the things that have come before? Do you do the David Letterman, right, where the number one is kind of a non sequitur or something that isn't quite on the line with everything else or deliberately not quite the best just to sort of make it feel like it's finished? Like how do you go about – Closing out the the yeah. top of a, of a countdown list. I would say I, I tend to be uh, fairly consensus and, and crowd pleasing towards the, the very 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 top, especially with the, the number one. Like the number one for Justin Timberlake was was "Sexy Back," which I think most people would agree, if not his definitive song, is certainly one of them, and it's probably his most popular song. And I think the first song that a lot of people think of when they think of Justin Timberlake. And I, I also happen to think it's his best song uh, for the top ten in general. I think. It's important to have. Uh, well, I mean, for certainly uh, songs that I personally prefer, since I, I'm the one, I'm the one making the list. That I, I feel like it's insincere to at least not have it be mostly based on my own preferences. But I, I do also take into account uh, how popular the song was, what, what, what kind of place it holds in the artist catalog, and I, I also try to make sure that there's at least one or two songs that people wouldn't expect, so that it's not you know just like a Billboard ranking of his 100 biggest hits, and that when he gets towards the top, there's no sort of editorial edge to it. So. Number one was his most popular song, maybe, and number two was a, a, a song like I Love You, which, which wasn't necessarily his biggest hit, but was a very big hit and a pivotal song in his career, and it's also one that I happen to think is just a brilliant pop song. Cool. And number three, Bye Bye Bye, which is nice yes. to see that you haven't neglected the, the early years. No, of course not. And then that was also kind of a, an important song for him and for pop music of its time period and stuff right. like that. Yeah. Well, 
well, here, can I ask you guys a, a question about pop music? Because uh, you just mentioned popularity and pop music, mm-hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. so pop music to me can mean well, it can mean a bunch of different things, but two. Uh, sort of axes on continuum on which pop music operates is it sort of aesthetic continuum of uh, either the bubble gumminess of it or mm-hmm. certain choices that tend to be common across pop music over the course of decades or also certain sort of stylistic choices that are fashionable there's the sort of the things that make it pop music discernible if you've never heard it before if you don't know it out of context mm-hmm. somebody shows you the uh, the music you know it's pop music and on the other hand pop music is music that large numbers of people like yeah. right and so where do, where do you guys on Pop Dust, or you guys even personally, uh, integrate those or hold them separately? Do you prioritize one over the other? Which excites you more, interests you more, makes you want to write about more on Pop Dust? Well, I, I think you're right in that, that the, uh, the true definition of pop music is kind of the sweet spot in between those two acts. I think you're right that uh, pop music, because if a song is popular enough at a certain point, it becomes pop music regardless of style or genre. Like, uh, Gauthier, I don't think most people would listen to his album from last year or two years ago and consider that to be uh, pop music in its entirety, but uh, the, the song Somebody That I Used To Know got so popular that eventually it, it kind of became, you know, it became normalized, and, and, and now you think of that as a pop song. Uh, whereas if you just heard it in like a coffee shop or on a public radio or something like that, you might not think of it as such. But I, I do think that there is also an importance to uh, pop music sort of being defined as music that uh that you know is 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 catchy and, and massively appealing and uh you know uh, maybe maybe challenging but but also very uh very just 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 kind of uh, innately pleasing and, and visceral uh in a way that's easily understood by a lot of people and and so i think that the best pop songs are ones that kind of marry uh, both qualities and that that, that they they are they, they are uh, what, we, what we think of to be as pop music, but they also can, can, can reach on a, a large scale and, and, uh, and have a, a number of people identify with it, even if it's not necessarily the most uh, conventional of a play. Then it doesn't exactly sound like, you know, the Archies or even early Beatles or stuff like that. Right. And, and, and to, go, to go off of that, uh, I think that um, this year, particularly Tegan and Sarah um, have sort of, you know, they've never. I would never consider the music that came before uh, their more their most recent album, Heartthrob, um, to have been pop music by any stretch. Or, you know, I mean, they write. They can write a, a song that has a conventional form, but um, and have some pop conventions in it. But you know, they were mostly indie rock, indie folk, maybe indie pop. But in their most recent album. I would say some songs are pure pop, and that's what I'd, I'd say turns me on the most personally about pop music is when it comes sort of unexpectedly. Um, when all I just thought it was it was one of the most perfect transitions into pop that I've ever yeah. seen from from another genre. Uh, yeah, there's kind of we could sort of say that there's like a second hook rule, right? Like yeah. if it's good if it's good pop music by the time the song by the time you get to the hook the second time, you've already bought the style and the, you know, whatever aspects uh, of it are novel, right? Like what do you think of that, Pete? Oh, like um 
the, by the time you hear the chorus the second time, the it second, wins you yeah, over. Yeah, the second, the second time you are what? Yeah, you are one over, right? And like, I guess so. It's I like, mean, when, when the way you were describing it, the song that sort of perversely popped into my head was the Abercrombie and Fitch song by LFO. Summer Girls. Like, <laughs> yeah, Summer Girls, that one. Awesome. Where it's where it's like it comes out of nowhere. Like no one would expect that song to be good or popular or beloved by anyone, as it's sort of a list of of rather unrelated subjects. Um, but it, it jumps out and it becomes popular. And yeah, by the second time it comes around, that chorus comes around. I feel like it's it's won its battle. Uh, I don't know if I'm necessarily like on its side when it happens, but uh, but I can see what you're saying about that. I well, that song it. is interesting because I think that it's uh, the chorus. It, try to think of a more uh, of a chorus with more sort of you know not to use the, the Andrew hates it when I use this word, but sort of random <laughs> specifics. Um, non sequiturs. Arbitrary. Arbitrary. Non sequiturs, sure, but I'm just trying to put it in the way the kids will understand. <laughs> and I, I think that. Um, Can I, I get the kids to listen to this podcast? <laughs> can, does anyone, if any of our listeners know where the kids are hanging out, can you put up some flyers or something? You'll be on our street team. I'll cite more twenty-year-old pop songs. If that helps. <laughs> we were supposed to, I, I heard we were supposed to cater to four-year-old kids, so that's why I talked about Tegan and Sarah. Right. Um, but anyway, no, I, uh, I, I think that song has find success in being overly specific and having the words sort of Abercrombie and Fitch beautifully match with that rhythm. I mean, I could go on and on about um, kind of what makes that song so annoyingly brilliant. But oh, for goodness sake, don't let us, don't let us stop. <laughs> <laughs> I would have to think about it a little more. I was expecting to talk about Summer Girls, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but the, yeah, the, the second, I mean, I, I feel like, I feel like there's this like second chorus rule or, or second hook principle, the principle of the second hook where, uh, you know, where like the first hook is that if it's if it's really novel, if there's something sort of musically or something structurally that's novel about a song, by this by the second time it comes around, it has kind of set the stage such that uh it it seems both it seems both sort of surprising and inevitable like uh like a good ending and, and you're ready to you're like ready to start you're ready to start singing along you've been primed psychologically right like in in the way and a, like a perfect song for that and i i heard it i only heard it once or twice in my life um at karaoke in fact uh and it was it i'm not sure if it was you mark who sang it but it was um uh, the song come back to texas it, it wasn't me it was a friend of the site a gonzo oh got it on the site is gonzo yeah um, but you're right. That is that's a perfect example of that. Yeah, that that like I had never heard this song before, and I don't think I've ever heard it since. But uh, I was like singing along, um, and it was like, man, I should visit Texas sometime. That place sounds awesome, you know. Uh, not not that the Mexican food is bad in Los Angeles, but uh, it's it's uh, it's right like and and a whole yeah. a whole that, that that phrase that sticky phrase the Mexican food sucks north of here. Anyway, uh -huh. right? That's what I call. I like to call an earworm. <laughs> uh, also, you pick the strangest examples. To, like we have people that you're actually. It's, it's, an, it's an eel from SETI Alpha Six. Brain <laughs> and it doesn't get out. Um, other examples is, of course, being if you like it, then you should have put a ring on it. Um, perhaps being the earwormiest of the earworms. A, huh. a strange turn of phrase, which, like, once you hear it, it's, like, stuck in there. It's really? Or you just difficult. have some marriage anxiety, Mark? Are you like... <laughs> <laughs> it's strange. Yeah, it's odd that a woman would say that. 
that she would say, if you like it, put a ring on it? Yeah, that's not a... So it's, <laughs> really? is, is it odd because like like isn't a strong enough word for to, to, to demand marriage that if, if you like something you have to marry it? Or yeah, also it is so it, it it is undefined in this yeah. situation. It can be whatever you want it to be. Well, yeah, yeah, I think of it as being one of those carnival games where you have to throw a ring. Interpretation. that way. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, right. I, there are, I guess, a number. There are a number of things. I mean, you know, I don't want to get too deep into the anti-feminist message of if you like it then you should have put a ring on it <laughs> but like when we're talking because about there's a girl in this podcast but yes go on <laughs> yeah, Yay, we're all... so happy. <laughs> I know. yeah 250 some episodes and finally it's it's uh no i'm sorry i shouldn't we we've had uh fantastic woman podcasters um, you're in a proud tradition, but you know, in in a, in discourses of in right feminist discourses of female subjectivity, right? Like re- referring to a woman as it, uh, right? Like if you like it, then you should have put a ring on it. Uh, like th- that is somehow retrograde politically, I think, right? Like that that is not the the kind of. Um, uh, that is not the kind of thing that we might hope for, uh, <laughs> you know, as our as our best selves um, in terms of representations of of women. Or have I fundamentally misunderstood, misparsed the lyric? Well, I don't think that the the it pronoun is the same in both parts of the phrase. Oh wow! <laughs> I, I don't I don't Different think it's referring in both in both both instances to her left ring finger, for example. Right. I think. Maybe he really, really likes her left ring finger. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. If you like it so much, because he can't stop talking about it. He says, look, I'm glad we broke up, but I just cannot get your left ring finger out of my fingers. It's just haunting my dreams. Yeah. Yeah. But, um... Sorry, I, we we got off we got off talk, but uh... <laughs> oh, you're new here. <laughs> <laughs> there is no off talk. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I also I also really like Andrew's point that sort of like is. Uh... It is a low bar to set, right, for a proposal mm-hmm. of marriage, for a very serious life decision. And it, it seems to be kind of threatening in, in that, like, well, if you liked me, then clearly you would have married me. So, well, you know, if you, if you didn't marry me, then obviously you just have no regard for me whatsoever as a person. Right. There's a kind of binary thinking. There's a sort of black and white uh, logic in that that I think doesn't take mm-hmm. into account all the nuance of human relationship. But I also think that the, the female in question is uh, – being a bit coquettish in this instance. And so I, I think that she's uh, being flirtatious. And, you know, to say love wouldn't be um, flirty enough for the vibe that she's trying to... Yeah. That she's trying to peg yeah. down. I mean, so she's taunting the guy. It's, she's understa- like, she's it's ta- understatement in the service of teasing the... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Bemoaning his loss, she's taunting him to deepen his suffering because she's with somebody else. I mean, by referring to herself as it, she's kind of referring to herself as this sort of unattainable object, and that like, like almost like a I don't I don't, I don't know like a, like a museum piece in a way that uh, like that, like like in Faith No More to excite another twenty year old song <laughs> like it's it what is it oh, it's it, what is it <laughs> and Beyonce is the, the fish flopping out of water yeah Beyonce is the flopping fish exactly and then the guy is knocking his head all over the place <laughs> I, I also don't think that that hook really works without the dance 
as much yeah. as it does with the dance. Because the dance is kind of key. I don't know. Maybe I've just seen the people bust into the dance a lot. So, I mean, what do you guys think about that? Like, what about the visual element of pop music? How does that fit in? Do, is a pop music that has a, a visual association less than a whole thing if it doesn't have, like, a video associated with it or an image or a costume piece or a dance or something like that? Like, how do, the, how do those uh, senses combine in your appreciation of this particular genre? Well, I think, I mean, it's, it's important in all genres, I think, but probably even more so in, in pop music. And I, and I don't know if it's necessarily inextricable. Like, I think you could say the, the biggest pop star of the last two years has been Adele. And she, image is, you know, it's a, it's a part, you know, she kind of has a sort of an air, air of class about her and her videos. And there's a certain stateliness to it that goes along with her music. But I think you could probably appreciate the music almost as well, if not entirely as well, uh, without seeing the videos or seeing her, you know, paparazzi photos or anything like that. But certainly she's the exception as opposed to the rule. And I, I think that with most of the artists we cover, people like Lady Gaga and Justin Bieber and Beyonce as well, certainly, uh, that, you know, every, every video is an event, every every kind of major public appearance is an event. And it, it's, it's definitely very hard to, to kind of separate the, the, the artist's music from, the, from their image and the individuals that go along with it. And we certainly write almost as, uh, almost as much about, uh, you know, interesting photographs of them or provocative photographs of them. Or, you know, we, we, we call Lady Gaga without any makeup and this is what she actually looks like. And, and that's almost as interesting as finding like an unplugged version of Born This Way. And that it's just as much of a part of the, of the artist's overall package. Mm-hmm. So I, it's, it's often, I think, essential, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. Yeah, we have this interesting phenomenon on our site with the, what we, a series that we call the Musical Talmud, in which, um, you know, like um, a Talmudic scholar, you know, pours over the text of the, of the, uh, of, of the Talmud, of the scripture, um, and to find its meaning. And we pour, we, it started out as us pouring over the text of the lyrics to find the true meaning of pop songs. Um, and that's how it started, but it very quickly morphed into um, sort of an audio uh, visual analysis sure. of both you know, the lyrics of the song and the uh, the nonstop you know, messages that are being communicated by the music videos themselves, which in, in a lot of ways, in some ways, became more important than the words they were singing. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's definitely, you know, additional pieces to the puzzle, kind of. And that you can sort of make more sense out of an, of an artist's overall meaning by, by seeing what they look like and who they associate with and how they show up at award shows and how they accept awards and stuff like that. That, that can be just as, uh, as important a part to decoding an artist's true meaning or impact or, or relevance as, as yeah, pouring over the lyrics to B-sides and unreleased tracks and stuff like that. But it, I, th- I think it's fun. I think that, it, it, that I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily. There are probably some rock purists that would say that you know, it's all just about the music, but even in rock, you know, image has always been such a, a large part of it, and fashion, and and, and everything. So I, I I think that it's 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 just makes it just makes the entire overall experience richer. So it's a yeah. Right. That's, I mean, I, 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 was... I mean, oh no 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 no. I I, I was going to say that I, I you brought up you know single ladies, and I think that Beyonce almost more than anyone else I can name, her videos matter more to me. Like like uh, <laughs> with a song like Countdown. I find the video to completely enhance the song itself or love on top um, from recent memory and, and obviously single ladies. Like I think I cannot think about those songs or hear those songs without thinking about the video. Whereas somebody like Kesha, even though she's so image driven and uh, like, I don't need to see the video for don't stop because I have such a clear picture of what she would look like waking up in the morning and drinking it, brushing her teeth with Jack Daniels. Like I, 
don't need to see those videos. Whereas with Beyonce, it completely enhances the experience for me. Maybe even makes the experience with a song like Single Ladies. I do like to see the video like resolve the contradiction between going hardcore and there being glitter on the floor. Because for me, those things don't, <laughs> they, they don't really line up, uh, you know, things that are hardcore. What, what don't, song was mistaken? <laughs> generally they don't line up with glitter, glitter on the floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. I don't, I know some hardcore people who wear glitter sometimes, um, but I think I work with some of them, so I don't want to mention them personally. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but uh, <laughs> uh, here, catch a song I was thinking about and some of the things you were talking about that I think is, gen- is generally seen as problematic. And pro- What do you guys think of the Die Young Kesha song? Um, do you think that it succeeds as a pop song, fails as a pop song? It had to be sort of recanted, right, in light of the Newton shootings or Newtown shootings, right. which seemed like a strange choice. Uh, I mean, where does it live in the pop hierarchy for you guys in the pop pantheon? Does well, it exist? Is it gone? Yeah, no, I, I, I think it's. I, I, I would I would consider it to be a kind of a second tier Kesha song. It, it, it's you know when, when she was re- recording that song, the other ones for her second album, she she had a kind of a very different vision of how how things would go. She kind of wanted to do this this glammed out uh, rock album, kind of like like influenced by uh, Iggy Pop and Alice Cooper and uh, all these these seventies rock gods. And instead, uh, her super producer, the, the singer guy named Dr. Luke, basically said, "No, no, we're not going to do that." And uh, he said, "We're going to, you know, going to do more kind of dance pop songs like you did on your first album." Kesha, while a woman of a certain degree of artistic credibility, uh, apparently, you know, she, she she still wants to be a pop star, and she's willing to kind of listen to the guidance of of, of this man who knows what he's talking about. So, I, I th- and I think that Die Young kind of sounds like a phoned-in Kesha song now, the, 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 because she's. She and Dr. Luke are, are so good at what they do. There's still a lot of kind of very catchy elements to it, a lot of very, uh, you know, elements that, that make it kind of undeniable as a pop radio single. Like uh, there's like the 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 drum beat. I, I hear your heartbeat like the, I hear your heartbeat like the beat of the drum. There's a bang bang sound that goes after that. Like that's a great pop hook. And after you hear it 15 times, you start banging along yourself because that's what you have to do when you listen to a song like that. But the, the, the overall message of it, which is kind of like this: uh, oh, we have to party tonight because the world might end tomorrow, or we might die tomorrow. Uh, that that's been one of the most trodden over messages of the last two years of pop music, or so. Like the, you, you can name a half dozen half dozen different songs, like uh, Britney Spears' "Total World Ends" or Pitbull's "Give Me Everything," that kind of have the exact same. Two years of pop uh, music. I mean, like let's let's refresh our memory of a little thing called Andrew Marvel's "To His Coy Mistress," right? <laughs> the graves are yeah, fine in private place, but none I think with the, the Mayan apocalypse that came up at the end of last year. I think that was a prevalent a prevalent theme in pop music, probably for reasons conscious and subconscious. Uh, well, we really, Adam, Adam Lambert. But yeah, go ahead. No, we 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 were at a point where we needed to consider what it would be like to die, and Kesha laid it out to us: cheat on your current. Or, or, you know, get somebody to cheat on their current spouse with you because the Mayan apocalypse might happen any day now. That's it's a better of- idea than <laughs> it's a better idea than Roland Emmerich had, I think. About <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I had, with John Cusack. That'll keep it simple. The whole thing with the, the Newton shootings and, and and her involvement in that. I mean, that that's that, that's just unfortunate timing. I don't think that has any bearing on on the song itself. I think that if you if you change the phrase "die young" to something a little bit less specific. Uh, then the song would have no problem, and it's just unfortunate for Kesha that the song hadn't come out around this time. And yeah, and the words that young had to had to go together, as opposed yeah. to you know One Direction, "Live While We're Young," which is yeah, exactly. You know. <laughs> 
kind of a similar putting live at live and young is was more uh timely i guess than die and young but uh i i respected them taking it off the airwaves because it was too close but her her involvement was not you know was no what do you guys think of one direction that's not something mm-hmm. we talk about a lot on the website, so we'd like to bring in some outside experts to tell everybody what we should think about them. Should we hate them for breaking Taylor Swift's heart, or should we like them? Well, only one of them Taylor did that. I don't only one of them oh, did. it wasn't like a group effort? I thought they teamed up. <laughs> well, I bet they all had to one direction, right? That's their uh, thing. Uh, oh, that's true. I'm sure, they all, I'm sure they all had a quick vote about who was going to date her. And then a, a quick vote on on uh, whether or not Harry Styles should break up with her for being boring. But um, yeah, it, it was a, a consensus decision. Oh. Totally, totally. Um, by, by the but, way, you'll be happy to know that One Direction is joining the the small pantheon of pop stars that are having uh, 3D uh, concerts mm-hmm. slash documentaries made about them. Uh, right. So they'll be bopping around the stage uh, in in all dimensions of, of sorts, uh, coming at you. Get excited. The trailer for that um, yesterday I, on the big screen, and um, I gotta say, I mean, the, pretty much the only thing that was really featured was um, them spouting out cliches about what it's like to be uh, to be superstars. But there was one section at the end where one of them, I forget who, was balancing china or something on his head not the country the the, country? Uh, the, not the not no 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 for once they they weren't metaphorically balancing <laughs> china on their head <laughs> as the saying goes but um they ha- have you all seen this i've seen the trailer yeah i know what you're talking about they're like okay. around in a hotel room and one of them is balancing like a teacup and saucers uh on on his head and then inevitably he falls and they all crash to the floor yeah I just didn't know. I, I didn't quite know how to feel about it because it's not funny. Uh, it, it, but but I myself I was completely like giddy seeing it happen, and and it made me realize that I'm totally sucked up into this. Not just because it's my job to to love and write about pop music, but I was completely sucked into it. Even though what I was watching was you know a boy essentially being a boy. And it, but I have, you know, sort of fallen weirdly in love with, with One Direction myself. I don't know. I think that uh, it makes sense that they're getting the 3D movie treatment because when you listen to their music, it's kind of like they're performing it at you, like not just to you, but like directly at you. They, 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 you, when you when you listen to their music, like you can see them like kind of walking deliberately towards you in the videos, like like demanding that you listen to their message and that you, you take them take them seriously. And yeah. I, I think that they, their music kind of reflects that too. It's very, very enthusiastic. It's very up tempo. It's very uh, deliberately catchy and uh, at a, almost to a fault. Uh, but it, it's got a, a kind of an energy and a passion to it that uh, you know some other pop music's lacking. But it, but it kind of goes back to the classic goals of, of popular music, and I, I like it. I, th- I think it's. I think it's certainly some of the most fun music that that's been on radio in the last decade or so. It's 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 music that's made to be as undeniable as possible, and I think it works. Right, and it and it sort of harkens back to you know my favorite sort of you were saying it's purely pop, right? Purely catchy. You know, I think back. I love that they're they're from the UK because some of my favorite pure pop boy bands are you know British boy bands. And 
it's sort of I personally, because that's the music that my dad would play in the car. Uh, there's sort of a, a nostalgia to it for me. Right. Yeah. Would you sing a One Direction song karaoke? Would you? Uh, oh, we have to think, haven't we? Oh yeah. Have we? Uh, <laughs> didn't we do? I think we did. Uh, what makes you what beautiful? Makes beautiful. Yeah, I think we, we totally did. did. You're right. As a duet, like together. No, but as part of a, an office retreat to, to one of the, the, the Cape Town karaoke places, we do. I think that kicked off one of our last outings. It was a success. Huh. Oh, we used to go to the Cape Town karaoke places, guys. Back when we all, we all lived in the same place at the same time and weren't scattered to the four winds. Oh. Those were the days. So we've we've all we've all gotten older and moved away and developed more permanent obligations. But that that actually that's actually an interesting thing to talk about with respect to pop music. Do you find that that your relationship to pop music changes as? You know, as you age, I, d- I don't want to presume actually about uh, what age either of you are, and feel free not to tell anybody um, because somewhere I'm, between twenty three and twenty five. Right, but I'm not going to give it away. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's, I mean, I you know, I found that over time, uh, it, I there's almost like a kind of built in sadness for me with pop music because like 10 years ago when I was graduating college and like, you know, the world was my oyster and I was living nearby Pete and Mark and we were going to the K-Town karaoke places and everything was, you know, fantastic. Now, now I'm a, a bitter old broken down shell of a man. And, uh, you know, that, that's not fair. You were pretty bitter. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think uh, you're probably happier now than you were then. But yeah. <laughs> No, this right. is a legitimate struggle that I think a lot of people have with popular music. I think you find a lot of people, uh, as they get older, that they it's not necessarily that they stop caring about about music or about new music, but uh, you know they have, you know you have life priorities and you have more obligations, and, and people uh, you know they, they don't have the time to kind of sit down and figure out, like, listen to ten different things or, or take a two hour you know road trip where all you do is listen to the radio, and you can't you don't have to really do that stuff anymore. And and with the lack of urgency to it, and, and because you're not in a situation anymore, you know, when you're young, music's just kind of all around you. When, when, you, when you're in, in grade school growing up, you, you know all the words to songs that you never actually made a conscious effort to listen to just because uh, it's such a part of your day-to-day life, and it's a part of the day-to-day life of, of you know, your, your, your classmates and you know, just on, you know, sitting on the bus while your, your, your bus driver's listening to a radio station. You're just, you're just always surrounded with music. And I think as you get older, you're surrounded by music less often. It becomes more of a voluntary choice you make, and as you get your, your time gets sucked up by more priorities and stuff, then it, you, you have less time to make that choice. And also, there's the fact that uh, you know it's, it's kind of like the, the days and confused thing, where like you get older and the pop stars stay the same age. You know, you're you're never going to be once you're at a certain age, you're always going to be older than the great majority of the people that are on the radio, and that's kind of, that becomes a kind of a tough thing to deal with. And uh, I'm 26, so I, I, I'm starting to, to kind of feel this, although I, I imagine I'll feel it more 10 years from now. But it, it becomes a matter of feeling alienated by, oh, well, the kids know what's going on, and I'm, I'm, I'm this you know, person in my mid-30s, and I, I can't really identify with these people anymore. So, but I, I personally think it's very important. I, I, I'm glad that uh, for such a long time that I've had a, a job that kind of forces me to sit down and listen to pop music, because it is still something that I enjoy as much as I ever have. Uh, it still means as much to me as it did when I was 18 or 8 or whatever. But I, I can't speak for the future. If, if I you know, become a person that's married with kids, or if, if I, you know, if I'm just a 45 year old person, then you know, I'm still listening to music made pri- prim- primarily between people between the ages of 18 and 35. Then 
like I can I can certainly see why people sort of lose that love for pop music. Yeah, you'll, I mean, you'll most hate of the your, pop music. Oh, go ahead. You'll hate your kids' music, you know, like every other parent does. Right? Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, most of the music I encounter now that's that's new is either at the gym, right, or yeah. at at karaoke. I and mean, karaoke is like a major place where I encounter music. It's probably like the biggest participatory musical thing, or yeah. even listening musical thing that I do. So I do it almost weekly. Um, so it really shapes. So like when people are like, "Well, what kind of?" I don't even want to answer the question. What kind of music do you listen to? Because it's like Bonnie, <laughs> Bonnie Tyler. You know, like what? Like like the soundtrack from Greece. Is, it happens every. Week. Oh, you never touched that. Yeah, just quickly on that. The first time I ever heard a Skrillex song was a karaoke, and it was sung by Pete, and it was done to great effect. Oh, yeah. I I I divided my life, uh, henceforth, um, B, S, and A, S, before Skrillex and after Skrillex. How are there enough words in a Skrillex song to make a karaoke (laughs) performance out of it? I'm curious. You repeat them many times. (laughs) (laughs) I once did did the song Pump Up the Volume by Mars Karaoke. That, 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 that I, I, I couldn't even imagine how they were going to present, and I, I just pres- you know, repeated the title phrase a couple times. <laughs> dance, dance, and that was about it. <laughs> I have to give full credit to Sheely, Overthinker Sheely, because he's really the bangarang karaoke master. <laughs> I, am, I am unfit to tie his sandal. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I you, are un, you are unfit what? to shout to all his lost boys. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> not giving a dang. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I always wanted to do I Like It Like That, that song. You remember that song that goes, I like it like that. Yeah, baby. Yeah, I like the, the Black Eyed oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like it like that. I like it like that. But I realized it would be not nearly as much fun. Although sometimes karaoke songs that really torture people are fun. Like one of my favorite karaoke moments. <laughs> Was when I was I sang one by Metallica karaoke, nice. <laughs> which has like no fewer than four instrumental sections of I believe more than a minute in length each. But I might be on that, and I just remember the look on uh, on. Uh, can we say the word Tomomi on the podcast? Brooks' uh, <laughs> wife Tomomi, who, who of course we all love. Um, even even Andrew and Sam love her, and they haven't met her yet. Uh, but the look on her face while John Levin and I sang uh, sang one by Metallica was just <laughs> her horror. I mean, I don't know karaoke tr- uh, trolling karaoke. Karaoke griefing are these things acceptable? Like are these things- the, the, the phrase "karaoke filibuster" I, I've heard used to describe something like that. <laughs> I, I think it's 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 okay when you used in the, in the kind of the minority. I mean, I I also am a fan of of kind of the the, the challenging karaoke song. I, I don't want to say that it's trolling necessarily, but one that is maybe a, a, a little self indulgent and kind of expands the audience's expectations. If you can even think of it that presumptuously, like I, I personally am I'm a fan of doing uh, Marilyn Manson's version of "Sweet Dreams." By the Eurythmics, uh, which, which it's, it starts off kind of uh, slow and, and 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 kind of a deep voice, but then it absolutely erupts in the, I think the second chorus, and I, I like kind of you know shocking a room of karaoke people when I kind of go all out into a song like that. Uh, and and I, correct me if I'm wrong. I've heard you do this, right? You have heard me do that one. Yes, I, I think. Uh, Half the people got it and half the people didn't, and, and that's fair. I think that's, that's a, f- a fair reaction to have to a karaoke performance of Sweet Dreams by Marilyn Manson. But I think as, as long as, as you make those the uh, exceptions and then you generally do songs that are more crowd-pleasing than that, then I, I think you're allowed one or two of those per you know, three-hour karaoke session within reason. I think that I, I love doing karaoke, and my love of karaoke, not to um, make your head big, Andrew, was <laughs> a, a lot of it was since meeting Andrew. See, you do before oh, Skrillex, after Skrillex. I, I'll do before a- AU and after AU. 
uh, with regards. That, that, that's the nicest thing you've ever said to me. So, with regards to my karaoke, well, there you go. I've done it. Um, I the hardest thing for me about karaoke is sort of a newbie is is those unfortunate surprises with songs where I think to mm-hmm. myself, oh yeah, this is going to be great. Panic at the Disco's I write sins, not tragedies. Um, it's it's super intense, which is kind of funny. Um, it kind of fits, you know, I'm a girl singing a guy song. Um, it's the words are, you know, like we've said before in this podcast, sort of, yeah, uh, are very specific and, uh, but I did it, uh, a week ago, Andrew can vouch. I can. And it is not a good karaoke song. And I was, it's, there's nothing worse than about one third of the way through a karaoke song thinking to yourself, you know what? This is not a good choice. You have to freaking blow out your voice to finish that song. And so I'm thinking I'm wasting most of my vocal energy right now on this song that is very alienating to the rest of the crowd <laughs> and uh, very repetitive. And I thought to my, you know, there is a little preparation that needs to go into a karaoke outing. Sure. Oh, oh, a lot. In the, if you're going to do hip hop, yeah, you know, practice the crap out of it. But I guess so. Sam we, has mastered uh, the art of doing Eminem's without me karaoke, and, and she, she can put on a performance as masterful as Marshall himself. I think at this point. Well, that's the nicest thing you've ever said to me, Andrew. So, <laughs> speaking of Eminem, I, I think uh, the, I think the key is kind of being able to gauge the temperature of a room and, and knowing what what kind of audience you're, you're working with. And you know, right. Uh, the, the most disastrous karaoke performance I ever did was one of uh, of Stan by Eminem, and uh, I. I was doing it to a room of people that I guess weren't rap fans and had never heard the song before, and they were they're, they're oh, man. prepared for how dark and intense the song gets. And it's it's third verse. Not only did they think that the song was creepy, I think after that performance they thought I was creepy, and they were probably a little intimidated by me at that point. So I, I think you have to kind of get it. Like, there, but there are probably rooms where people would, would join in on it, and then and, and you know sing the Dido hook and stuff like that. But uh, you, you have to kind of know your audience before launching into a more challenging song like okay. that. Yeah. Can we go back to Sam's point, uh, story about being stuck with a song and having to like mm-hmm. carry it through to the end? And uh, and just by the way, like earlier before we started this podcast, we were talking about this idea of karaoke etiquette, right? Which is basically what we're talking about now, sort of the ins and outs of it, what to do and what not to do. Um, but sort of along those lines, um, is it against karaoke etiquette to just eject yourself from it? If like this isn't working, I'm like reach for that remote, pull the ripcord. Assuming that you're in, pull the ripcord. Assuming that you're in, you know, the private room karaoke setting as opposed to like you know on the stage at the bar i don't think you can assume that uh, let's let's say it for both right for public and for private karaoke i mean bailing you, sound, you sound oddly nothing. you sound oddly annoyed by that by that uh that, that. Well, it makes, well, if you're bailing in a private room it's such a simple matter if it's just you and a couple friends you can do whatever you want but i feel like if you're in front of people you don't know yeah then that kind of changes the etiquette a little bit it right. feels like a more challenging question but that i mean oh. so that's a that is a i think that's a related but not entirely overlapping matter with you know this kind of the social context of the karaoke right like mm-hmm. whereas certain songs certain songs are appropriate uh at like a work uh like an after work outing with new colleagues right rather than a group of friends like the the writers on overthinking it you know who have known each other for 10 plus years and actually by the way whenever we get together we end our karaoke sessions with uh, Higher by Creed followed by Get Low by the Yin Yang Twins. <laughs> <laughs> Two excellent choices I cannot possibly support. Yin and Yang. <laughs> Yin and Yang, exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. After you've gotten higher, what, what else is there to do? 
Um, but but like I mean I don't know I feel like I feel like we from time to time make choices just kind of to alienate and confound one another and sort of take pleasure in our ability take pleasure in our ability to do that right and and um, I don't know yeah Sheely is probably the the a master at this but we, but we do it but like I you know if I were in if I were in a group of people where like they were new and I were I was anxious for them to like me right like there's there's karaoke as like social lubricant though I guess the social lubricant is the booze you're sucking down while you're doing karaoke um Right, and then there's karaoke as like this sort of private transaction among friends, uh, which is you know d- like uh, probably related to like primate grooming rituals, where we like pick the fleas of Skrillex <laughs> off of one another. Wow, that was beautiful. <laughs> what you just did there was beautiful. Um, um, <laughs> well, okay, so what you're saying is there are different songs for different occasions, right? Well, yeah, I, I went on a lot longer than that, but that's more or less the bottom line. <laughs> oh, and then earlier you posed the question, is it okay to bail on a song? Is it okay to skip a song? Yeah. Um, personally, I think I, I, I would be embarrassed for anyone who felt the need to bail on a song. Um, um, uh, unless the room was super comfortable and it was a room with friends. And, you, you know, you're paying for the room for two hours or whatever, and you don't want to waste your money on, on a song that somebody is completely bailing on. But I personally know that Andrew would not cotton to that. Well, I, I'll just say that uh, I, I do feel like that there, there is a sort of uh, a social contract that if you're choosing a song uh, to, that other people are going to listen to you sing for four minutes or whatever, uh, then you, you should you, you should be sort of you should feel sort of socially obligated to choose a song that you feel comfortable enough with seeing all the way through. And if you are choosing a song that you realize halfway through, I don't know this song at all, then that was sort of a, a lazy choice for you to make in the first place. And it's it, it, it's sort of I don't know arrogant maybe to to to, to assume that you can kind of laze your way through it if you if you don't have a certain degree of familiarity with it. Now, in some cases, that can be sort of the charm of the performance, and you can kind of play it off like that. Like you can sort of make fun of the fact that oh, nobody knows like the third verse to this song. That's crazy. I, I didn't realize how complicated it got, and that's kind of okay. But I think if you're just going to kind of pull the plug on your own performance, then that that that's that, that is kind of wasting everybody's time. And then I, I think it, it's sort of a it is a breach of karaoke etiquette. If we can go back to that original phrase, yeah. Okay. The circumstance of this sort that annoys me the most is when you're doing... I I personally do lots of hip-hop at karaoke, Mm -hmm. and I love fast hip-hop. I do a fair amount of DMX. Buster Rhymes? uh, Yeah, and I love Buster Rhymes. That's what I was getting to. And so one of my favorite songs back in college was Break Your Neck by Buster Rhymes, uh, which is about nodding your head uh, uh, thusly, right? (laughs) Like nodding your head with enthusiasm, which is another topic that has dominated pop sensibilities uh, for a variety of eras. Um, But it's like... But I've, I've done that song... I remember the last time I tried to do that song karaoke... The screen wasn't oh, yeah. going fast enough, right? It wasn't ahead of the song. <laughs> that is so annoying. Oh my god, I hate that so much. When like the lyrics are trailing behind you, and it's like I can sing "Break Your Neck," but I haven't got it memorized, so I need to see the words like at least four tenths of a second before I'm supposed to say them because <laughs> it's a very fast song. Uh, yeah, I mean, otherwise I just remember the part about the steamroller and Dre ain't no effing around, and, and that's, <laughs> that's, I mean that's fun, but yeah, you it's know a long that, that happens. One of my best karaoke songs, if I do say so myself, is Alanis Morissette's You Oughta Know. And in every karaoke setting that I've done it, you can't hear the opening pitch of the song because, you know, the song, 
naturally starts with just sort of like a little drum beat to set you in the tempo, but you don't get an opening pitch. And that has driven me crazy. Uh, it's hard to ascertain the key. It is. It's very, that's exactly it. It's hard to ascertain the key. Have you, and, have you, oh man. Yeah, no, no, go ahead. I was just saying, have you guys encountered the broken shoop? There is like a broken. There's a. Broken, <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. There is a broken shoop karaoke track that is in the karaoke bars that I've been in, in like multiple cities up and down the East Coast. <laughs> There's no guy section. It just goes shoop shoop a doop shoop a doop for like two and a half solid it's minutes. It's like where you get oh. to like the 37th level of Donkey Kong and the screen kind of short circuit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Except it's like the part that everyone's really excited for. I can't tell you, there have been at least seven different times in the past three years where someone's come up to me and said, Pete, we need you to sing the guy part in Shoop. And I sort of <laughs> look at them wearily and I can't bring myself to tell them that there's a really good chance it's just not going to be on there. Because somehow this thing got out in the open and Dustin Hoffman and the monkey weren't around to stop it. <laughs> and it's just like, it's all over. The- there's another 20 year reference. Oh, I'm not pop at all. I should be referencing Drake. Drake is much more current. Drake should have stopped this song from spreading around. So speaking um, of uh, tracks being not what you expect them to be, this isn't exactly the same thing of something being just straight up broken and it's like something really wrong with it, but it's sort of similar in that... Can I take a guess is what you're about to say? I, I, I think you can, yeah. Is, is this about ignition? It is exactly about ignition. This is a serious problem <laughs> oh that we need to make sure that the, the world is aware oh, of. Right. Okay, so the vast majority of karaoke places you'll go to have uh, the R. Kelly song that's called Ignition. This is song is nothing at all like the <laughs> remix to Ignition. Remix to Ignition is a fantastic song for karaoke. Ignition is horrible and nobody knows it. So I literally, like, every time I go to a new karaoke place, I look in the book and I see if they have the remix to Ignition. And in my years of doing it in various continents and in various cities in the United States, um, I've only found it in two places wow both in new york and one, of them, one of them just closed so now it's just down with this one <laughs> i've had the same problem but i feel like it might be even a little bit worse with the song crossroads by bone thugs and harmony but i see what the because there's a different crossroads track by bone thugs and harmony but the thing that makes it sadder is that when that song comes up and you don't know it no one believes you because people don't remember that song anymore <laughs> and they just think that you picked something stupid whereas if the if ignition comes up at least people recognize that it's not the song that it's supposed to be and you can get a little bit of an out but it's, it's funny especially with, with that ignition example like, like the fact that i, that I was able to guess it and i've had that i've had this conversation with other regular karaoke's before it's kind of like a I don't, I don't know, like an inside joke among karaoke regulars. I think you can, you can almost use it to ascertain how, what, what kind of frequency a karaoke goer somebody is, is whether or not they know about the ignition thing. <laughs> maybe, the, maybe the thing was, shoot, was true about Shoot 10 years ago. I, I, I don't know. But it, it's interesting that, that karaoke culture can kind of congeal itself around a song like that. It's I don't think the know world- you're dealing with a karaoke regular. Is, is, that's your little code word for them. Have you ever done <laughs> the Ignition Remix of karaoke? And if they say, they'll just know. They'll give you a little wink, and then you'll know. You're in. Yeah. <laughs> someone, someone, should exactly. give a badge. someone should give out an achievement, a little pin that I can attach to my label and wear at all times. I'm really like a, a four square for karaoke. Like you check in with certain songs. And exactly. Yes. Yeah. I'm the mayor of ignition. <laughs> <laughs> I have fleshed out this idea in great detail years ago. And like some like master business plan, cum, like uh, <laughs> business requirements document for intensive karaoke uh, information technology system. Um, unfortunately, the, the, the means and methods to do this um, are, are beyond me, but uh, I, I do have that dream. Yeah. It's a great idea. 
And if only we had more people in this country who came up with great ideas for startups they have no intention of doing themselves. <laughs> oh, man. I will say Andrew's one uh, rule of karaoke that I respect but I resent is that he won't do the same song twice to the same crowd. Yeah, th- th- like that, ever? That, that is a matter of taste. I think. I think uh, you know, Sam kind of has her, her classics that she's that she's very good at, and I, I understand that that she wants to uh, to kind of kind of like do her signature numbers. And I have other friends that are like that too, where they have like kind of trademark karaoke songs that they want to do either every time or, or like regularly towards the end of the night. And I, I respect that, but it's, it's a personal choice that I make that I, I don't like repeating karaoke songs around the, the, the same audiences. Oh, uh, Andrea, I got to side with Sam here. You're like the band who wants to play songs off the new album. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Like, is that I think when when you're when you're dealing when you when you're going to see a band. Everybody has their favorite songs and they have their big hits and that you have songs that you want them to perform. No one's going to see you at karaoke. Nobody's going, like, no, no one's like in a room with me and says, oh, I really hope he's going to do Sweet Dreams this time. That's just not going to happen. And I think that a lot of karaoke is kind of based around an idea of novelty and a sort of, oh, I, know I haven't thought about this song in a while. I've never heard this song done like this before. Maybe like you're going to put on a funny voice for a song or something like that. But I think there's there's definitely a diminishing returns with karaoke. You can do a song that where your rendition of it is funny or novel once, but it's much less so the second time and much, much less so the third time. And eventually it gets to be kind of like, oh, is, is he really going to do this song again? That's that's my opinion of it. Anyway. That, that, that's how I, I, I feel when, when in a room with karaoke people that I know have like a, a wide breadth of knowledge and, and, they, and they can do new songs and different songs. But, but keep coming back to the same ones. That's an argument I've had with Sam, and I, I, I certainly respect her viewpoint, but the, the, it's not the one that I have. So I mean, I, like, I, I'll go ahead. Andrew, is this a hard and fast rule that you do? Like, oh, once no, it's no, done no. and it's gone forever? Oh, it's just you sort of have to like, let it go for... Oh, oh, oh for myself? Uh, you have to oh, let the crop lie fallow for several seasons, and then you can come back. <laughs> <laughs> myself, if I know that I've done a song with a group of friends before, I won't do it again for at least a couple years or at least until I get really, really, really drunk at the end of the night. I mean, I followed this rule myself for like a long time, uh, but mostly at like a specific bar. So it was, I would say yeah, that, that's like a year. Especially if you know the regulars and they know you and it, it does get to be kind of schlocky if, if, if you do the same song over and over. Sure, sure. I mean, I wouldn't do... Uh, for example, the Divinals, I touch myself again in front of our work crowd, aside from the obvious that it was completely inappropriate. But um, when Andrew and I, uh, we did uh, Dreams by the Cranberries, and uh, I would have liked to have repeated that again. But I feel like we did repeat it once at your birthday party. At my we birthday, a different group yes, of people. It was the greatest. Uh, but I don't know. I felt like it wasn't it wasn't as exciting to me or as revelatory to me as. And obviously, I'm taking the karaoke experience far far too seriously to even be talking about this. But uh, when, when the first time we did it, I thought that there there was real real electricity there. And this, the second time, I, I just didn't quite feel it the same way. And I feel like if we did it again, I would have felt it even less. What, the third what, time. what Andrew is saying, Sam, is that he enjoyed your birthday a lot less than you seem to have. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but I, I actually, you're, you, uh, you're misreading where I was going, Andrew. I was going to say I agree with you. And oh, okay. that, that was an example where I thought to myself, because there was another work function where I thought I want to do this. And then I remember thinking, no, it's not going to have the same effect that it did the first time when we just spontaneously chose it and, right. you know, magic occurred. <laughs> um, you all should have been there. But uh, We'll forget that night. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh I, I see, I completely see where you're coming from, but um, 
I think that having it as a rule, uh, I, I just do think that people, especially great singers, might have their one... Such as yourself. Uh, no, no, I wasn't saying that because I I, uh, I don't like to pimp out my singing abilities doing karaoke. I, fi- I, fi- I feel uncomfortable That's doing true. that. You, you play close to the vest. I do. <laughs> Though anyone anyone who can do those Dolores O'Riordan yelps... That, and she can. She, she's fantastic at it. Uh, 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 oh. Enigma Return to Innocence. There's a great song to do karaoke oh, 20 man. years ago. It's I love doing that one. That? <laughs> I, never, I never find it at places. I've always wanted to do it. <laughs> oh, I did. I did a couple times. It's a lot of fun. The hi, 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 hi. you have to remember the part though. They don't put the hi, 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 on like the words that come. Hi, 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 hi. <laughs> oh, that's Harvey. Yeah, yeah. We get visits from Harvey Firestein from time to time on the podcast, guys. It's kind of a weird. It's kind of a running gag that's gotten entirely out of hand but uh we've we've also had meta conversations about our harvey spierstein visits on the podcast as well so sometimes it all, you know sometimes the rabbit hole just keeps going which is right. which is that the thing uh well um we could i think we could sit here all night uh, just uh recalling our favorite karaoke experiences but we will um save that uh save that for another time so uh if you want to regale us with some of your favorite karaoke experiences you can uh email us at podcast at overthinking it.com you can call call or text 203-285-6401, the podcast voicemail line. Um, you could actually call the voicemail line and just sing uh, a cappella or, uh, or with a backing track that you like uh, play on a phone or, or play on an iPod or something like that. You know, um, karaoke into the thing. Uh, there might be a rights issue with playing that into the podcast, but we, we, we would find a way. Uh, and you can join the conversation that always happens in the comments on the show notes for this episode. Um, so, hey, I want to thank very much uh, Samantha Martin and Andrew Unterberger uh, for being on. The site is popdust.com. You can follow uh, the site's Twitter at popdust. And uh, uh, Andrew's Twitter is A-U get off my gold A-U-G-E-T-O-F-F-M-Y-G-O-L-D on Twitter and Sam's Twitter is hi my name Sam H-I-M-Y-N-A-M-E-S-A-M uh, on the Twitters guys it was really really wonderful having you on the show very enjoyable thank you excellent uh, we'll be back next week until then you can find us at www.overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. Woke up in the morning feeling like he did he. <laughs> I was thinking, who's going to do what line as Harvey as the <laughs> for the hey, for the button. one? Do you want to, guys? Sam and Andrew, try try a Harvey Firestein song lyric for everybody. Oh wow! Uh, <laughs> this is much more you than me. If you wanted, then you should have put a ring on it. <laughs> <laughs>